We really think European butter from France is the best butter. And our friend, the expert baker and best-selling cookbook author David Leibovitz agrees. Check out our recent episode with David to find out how he cooks with quality butter. And for recipes, tips, and cooking advice, go to tasteeurope.com. Every time you make a product for sale that's shelf-stable, it has to um, be at a certain pH. So when I was making the product by hand, I would have a pH meter and I would check the pH of the product, know that it's at the right pH, and then we would fill it at the correct temperature. This is Taste. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. Chitra Agarwal is an author and entrepreneur behind the beloved Brooklyn Deli. On this episode, we talk about the founding of the company and our collective love of Indian spices and flavors. We also talk about a copycat product from one of the country's most prominent grocery chains. I hope you enjoy it. Chitra Agarwal, this is Taste. Hello. <laughs> Great to see you. I think I uh, I've known your brand for a long time, and honestly, I it's delicious. Uh, I've cooked with it. I know what you're doing, and I have had no idea it's just you and your husband doing it all. Yep, it's just us and uh, the gig economy. Yeah, basically, people helping us that are freelancing um, at Brooklyn Deli. Brooklyn Deli. I mean, it's you're you're everywhere, and. You know, if you if you don't know, I have a link to it in the show notes, and you should buy one of the new the three packs of your pickle. It's amazing. But I wanted to have you in just to talk through um, some of your career, and also um, you've published books with us too, a book with us, and we can talk about the vibrant India. Right. Yeah. Honestly, I want to start by where you're eating out right now because that to me is is always your New York City, your you're in the food scene. What's good right now? So I'm actually a bit of a homebody. Yeah. And um, I I kind of eat in most yeah. of the time. Fair but, enough. And I just got a subscription to Rancho Gordo beans. Oh, yeah. So I have been making a lot of beans. <laughs> and I also um, am a CSA member yeah. and one of those people that has anxiety over finishing my vegetables oh my gosh. each week. So I have been making a lot of that. But, I mean, I do have restaurants that are kind of, you know, close to my heart and um, ones that, you know, just – uh, I have a soft spot for yeah. um, in the city. I'd say one of them is Jalsa. Uh, I don't know if you've been to it. No. Okay. It's on Coney Island Ave. And right it's um, kind of near Kensington Midwood area in Little Pakistan. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a gem that I feel like more people should go to. You're telling everybody to go there now, and I love this because I've never been to Little Pakistan in oh, Brooklyn. Wow. I, I didn't realize there was a little pocket there. Yes, there is. Um, and it's kind of a cool neighborhood because it's also a mix of a Jewish neighborhood as well as a uh, Pakistani neighborhood. Oh, so, wow. yeah. And so there's a lot of um, really interesting foods. 
um, over there. I love to hear that. Um, are you are you shopping down there a lot? Are you going there a weekly? Um, well, so I used to live in Midwood. Oh, so, okay, cool. Yeah, so I used to shop at all the Pakistani grocers there. Yeah. Um, and then there was also some like Georgian grocers yeah. and just like great fruit markets and vegetable markets. And um, yeah, I just uh, chat. I love chat. Yeah. You can get some great chat down there. Great. How do you define chat? It's one of those foods that those food groups that kind of feels like there's it's it can be challenging to define. Right. It's uh, well, it means to lick. That's right. what it means. Exactly. But, it means to do something. Right? Yeah. And it is kind of this snack that takes on all these different forms. But the one thing about chaat is that it has all these textures, flavors. So say you have a samosa chaat, right? It's kind of like has crunch from the samosa, yeah. but then there's yogurt. So it's cooling. And then there's mm. like the sweet tamarind chutney and, um, you know, crunch. Just, I don't know. There's just like an explosion in your mouth. Yeah. Uh, we've all had that. I feel like we've... <laughs> dined at like a southern indian restaurant and had that explosion and it's it's like unlike anything you've ever had right i love that um you started out in like the content world and like the blogging i hate that word but you know what i mean it's like it is it's dated but it it kind of means something because you were doing this over 10 years ago and you had a a website american board confused desi abcd yeah. How, like, first off, what does that mean? I love that term. Right. American born confused Desi. So I would be called an ABCD. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's a derogatory term, actually, because <laughs> yeah. it's usually uh, someone saying, like, ugh. You're such an ABCD, which is that you're not really fully Indian because, you know, you're you grew up here and you have all these kind of other American qualities. Um, And so my blog was the ABCDs of cooking. So it was a way to kind of turn that on its head and say that this perspective actually does have value. And I did that through the food that I was cooking. Wow. I mean, a lot of follow up questions because. When you you say the derogatory, you know, were folks confused about the flavors you were cooking with, too, as much as your own identity? So it kind of goes both ways. I felt like so at the time in Brooklyn, it was um, I was doing a lot of pop up dinners and cooking classes. And I felt like people were very open to the perspective because um, it was just something new. So everything was very much rooted in the recipes that I grew up with. But then I was maybe taking some local vegetable that I was getting in my CSA and making a recipe with that. Or I was working with uh, a chef that I I had an Indian uh, Mexican pop up for a Mm. while. So uh, we were making we were called uh, Masala Loca, I remember. That works. Uh, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> but so it was kind of just, it was really fun, you know, and I think that it was just like putting something new out there. Um, and, uh, but I also had a lot of traditional recipes on the site too. So I think that I kind of, people could kind of go there um, and see, you know, all these different types of ways that Indian cooking could could be. Yeah. So you founded Brooklyn Deli over 10 years ago. It'll be, te- I guess it'll be 10 years this fall. Yeah. Take us back to that time. I feel like, uh, like what were the initial products and like how has it changed in the past 10 years? Because I feel like back then it was probably more challenging to get into these larger big box stores with your product and also just to break through. 
being who you are. Now there's more acceptance, there's more interest in 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 food from South Asia for all audiences. But back then it was probably more challenging. Right. I think that, well, there was a lot of things happening, I think, back then. Um, it was um, a time where uh, there was a lot of, I guess, excitement around home cooking in Brooklyn and a community that was forming. So um, around blogging and also prepared foods. And um, so I had this recipe that I was serving at my pop-up dinners, which was for a char, sometimes called Indian pickle, that I was making from all of these different local fruits and vegetables. And um, I happened to be dating um, a guy that is a food packaging designer who mm. now is my husband. Yeah. And he was very taken by um, these recipes, too, and um, offered to uh, design the packaging if we wanted to put it out. And so kind of just it really happened organically. Yeah. Um, and achar is um, a, a staple uh, South Asian condiment um, that also has these mix of flavors that are, you know, sweet, sour, spicy. Um, and uh, it, I was making it from rhubarb. Barb or oh, cool. green gooseberries, um, I mean, tomatoes, garlic, everything you can think of. Um, and I feel like I didn't really know what I was getting into. Yeah. Um, I like, just, the big, like the big CPG brand or the big box stores, I guess it is. Yeah. At the time, I think I just wanted to make these products and put them out there and, and kind of see what people thought about them. Um, we were selling at Smorgasburg yeah. and at flea markets, and I was making it by hand at a soup pantry wow. and um, just kind of seeing where it went. And I think that that's kind of how I have really navigated what what I do in food, um, even doing the blog. I mean, I was working a full-time job and I started the blog because I wanted to document my family's recipes mm -hmm. from India. And it just started to grow and the perspective started to kind of, I guess, solidify. Yeah. Um, and in a sense, I was trying to also understand who I was too. And um, so I was, you know, like teaching the cooking classes, doing pop-up dinners, and then... Um, then Brooklyn Deli kind of came um, out of that work yeah. that I was doing before. The brand, did it pop into your head one day, the name? Yeah, it did. And it, and it's funny because it's very much what ABCDs of cooking is mm -hmm. about, too, where it's this kind of mashup or mix of cultures. And Brooklyn Deli was probably um, a better name, though, <laughs> than ABCDs of cooking. Well, it's funny. Later in this episode, we'll speak with the founder of Confused Snacks. And so using that word as well and kind of embracing that and we'll hear his story. Totally. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 interesting how both, you know, ABCD and Confused Snacks, maybe we've come to a, tr a place where confusion actually works right. in the public sphere. I think so. I mean, I think at one point, Fusion was kind of a bad word, but I feel like fusion has now come back with force and and is accepted in a sense. And so I think that is almost progress in a in yes. a way. Um, yeah, because I started the blog in two thousand nine, you know, and a lot of people were just like, "What are you doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> right. what does this mean?" Yeah. And even with Brooklyn Deli, I mean, because the achars that I make are my recipe, so they're not as salty, right, as a traditional achar. And um, yeah, they have like seventy five percent less sodium than one that you would find on a shelf, yeah. like in an Indian store. And so, 
it, it's it's also that that um, ability to show that there's more than one perspective, I think. Yeah. Um, and and so that has been great because, yeah, as time has gone on, people have been more accepting of that. How do you cook with achar? How do you or how do you eat it, I guess? Because I think of kimchi as a potential uh, cognate. You know, I, I write Korean cookbooks with Dookie Hong, so I'm familiar with using many different products to do kimchi, but it seems similar, but I, I, I don't know. I've never really made a meal with achar. It's like the focus of it. Right. So, I mean, it's usually used as a condiment. Okay. So if you're eating rice and dal, you yeah. would just put a little bit in and mix it up. Yeah. And it kind of just elevates the whole meal. Um, and But I love to cook with it. So that's another way at Brooklyn Deli that I'm able to bring kind of um, the Indian American perspective where I'll have a recipe on our blog where we'll take the tomato achar and put it down on a pizza. And that's the sauce. Um, and so there's so many different ways that you can look at it. And because it's not as salty as a traditional one, you can yeah. really use it in cooking. I, I I'm so you've brought me some too, so thank you for 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 gifting me um, your product because I, I can't wait to take it back and maybe make some dal or or with rice or or maybe with eggs. I don't know. I'm thinking like like lots of opportunity. Yeah, no, I I just came out with a dal thudka recipe, so for sure. All that's right. A- <laughs> um, I see that you're working with ghost peppers now. What the hell? I I think of ghost peppers is like the scariest food out there. <laughs> Do you have to wear, like, gas masks when you're working with it? So uh, when I was uh, developing the recipe, I was definitely wearing a mask and goggles. Um, <laughs> cool. So, yes, it was it was a hardcore. Um, and, um, yeah, I love, I love hot things. And so this was actually a foil to our Guntur Sanam hot sauce, which is more mild mm-hmm. and also uses an Indian chili pepper. And the ghost pepper one was one that I had collaborated with Hot Ones uh, for season 20. Oh, right. On. And so they loved the Guntur Sanam, but they were like, can you give us something hotter? And I was like, okay, we're going to go for the ghost pepper then. <laughs> I love that. And when you appear on Hot Ones, do you get a lot of sales? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it was like, uh, yeah, there was so, it was crazy, like the amount of exposure. Yeah. <laughs> and this leads to my next question. How do you grow Brooklyn Deli? right now, you know, there are so many options right now with grocery and specialty food. And, you know, it's, it's great. Like as a consumer, I'm, I'm, we're blessed. We have so much opportunity to cook with all these great products and we can order them online or go to our favorite stores. But as somebody who's been doing this 10 years, it does, is it difficult to break through the noise? Um, I'd say that it is. It's a, it's a really hard industry in, in general. And, um, you know, in the beginning, we got a lot of our accounts from just knocking on doors. I remember getting into being a featured local vendor at Whole Foods. And that was a big step for us in the beginning. Um, and then going to trade shows, that was the main way to kind of meet buyers. And it's more affordable because we don't have we didn't have a sales team at the time. Um, and I remember meeting the the 
global buyer of Whole Foods at one of those shows, and she really loved our chars. And was it she Ellie Drusdell? Well, Ellie had brought us in as a featured local. Oh, so props yeah. to Ellie. Love yeah. Ellie. Yeah. Yo, Ellie is awesome. Yeah. Um, and so this was a different buyer. Cool. And um, she really wanted to take our, um, you know, our products national. And um, over the over time, I worked with her and actually developed our Simmer Sauce mm-hmm. line because she was she loved our flavors and she was like, have you thought about that? And so in tandem, we we developed that for, for them. And then they launched it um, nationwide. And then um, we, we have a partnership with Blue Apron, and I work with their culinary team, and they mm-hmm. came to me. They love the achars. I actually used to teach classes at Brooklyn Kitchen. Oh, right on. One of the, the people that worked there um, started to work in the culinary department at Blue Apron, and so she reached out, and she was like, I really, you know, I think your tomato achar could be interesting here. Um, and so we started working with them, and then their culinary team asked me to develop a mango chutney and then um, our cashew korma. And we, we then made those retail products. So, and Blue Apron has been great because it's kind of like a sampling arm. Oh, so, it's a seeding of your product into like so many thousands of, tens of thousands right. of households each week. Yeah. Yeah. Millions, millions. actually. Millions. Great. And, um, Even better. <laughs> and so that has been great. But I, I'd say that it, then it's kind of organic in that sense where, um, where we've collaborated with a lot of um, you know, buyers uh, in order to kind of launch new products. And then on the other end, it's also that we are, um, I- I'm kind of, de- I develop all the products still. So it all comes from our kitchen. And so everything that I develop is really uh, ingredients that, you know, you f- I find in my cupboard. Yeah. And then, but you have to make a product that works at scale, is shelf stable, can travel on hot trucks and can l- last uh, many weeks um, in warehouses. And how the hell do you do that? I feel like as a home cook, you're not thinking about that. You clearly have to break through right. um, with all that innovation, right? Right. I mean, that was the other thing about being part of this Brooklyn community, too, is that a lot of friends that, um, you know, sold with me at markets, some of them started having their own CPG brands. And so I learned yeah. from them. So I remember um, my friend Kadeem, uh, who does Mama O's Kimchi. Yeah. He was like, Chithra, you got to get a pH meter. <laughs> I remember. What is a pH meter? It, no idea. It, it basically tells you the pH of your product. And so um, at that point, then you you basically have to have a process, right? Yeah. Every time you make a product for sale that's shelf stable, it has to um, be at a certain pH and then you have to heat it to a certain temperature. So when I was making the product by hand, I would have a pH meter and I would check the pH of the product, know that it's at the right pH, and then we would fill it at the correct temperature. Mm. So, you know, I, I learned from friends. I learned from uh, Cornell has an amazing um, food venture center. Um, I learned from them. And um, so really self-taught and uh, develop everything. And then, um, you know, uh, now we, we use co-packers. I was wondering, yeah. so your production is done in a co-packing yeah. facility. Right, right. Where's that at? Is it in, locally? In Hudson Valley. Oh, right. Yeah. Cool. So, so we do, um, so we work with the co-packers and then, um, but yeah, I still, I develop everything and it's kind of a little lab in my kitchen. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> now with just you and your husband as the only full-time employees, I mean, you, you're, you're in a lot of channels though, right? You're available. How, how do you, how do you make that work? I mean, how does that, how does that work? 
Well, I mean, I have a team. Yeah. So I have a team of people. So I have, you know, an ops team. I yeah. have a sales team. I have a marketing team. Um, but, you know, nowadays a lot of people want to yep. work freelance. So they have maybe other clients or they just want to have a more flexible schedule. So yeah. that's kind of how it's it's worked for both of us in that sense. Um, but it is a lot of management. But I feel like I have a team that is really dedicated to Brooklyn Deli and they believe in who we are. And um, so I, I feel really lucky. Let's talk about what happened at Trader Joe's with the garlic achar. I feel like you've written about this, but I want to get your take. Um, you know, my Midwestern mother is always like imitation is the highest form of flattery. But we're talking about big, big CPG brands and literally releasing um, almost a carbon copy aesthetically. But and I never tasted both side by side, but I can imagine theirs is much worse. Right. Right. It <laughs> I was can a... imagine theirs was weak, was weak <laughs> shit. Um, but that isn't great. And we love Trader Joe's. Like, as a, as a brand, we we can't deny it. We, like, enjoy going there. And the people there seem to be nice. But what the heck are they doing copying your, your product? Right. I mean, so that was, yeah, it, w- it was a, a strange situation. How long ago? Sorry. That was maybe, like, a year, uh, over a year ago. Yeah. And um, they had reached out to us, and they were interested in our products. Hmm. And uh, we, we went down the road of having conversations, and then those conversations kind of ended, and I was like, so what's up? And they were like, uh, well, we're going to be launching another Indian product, so, you know, we'll circle back with you. And I feel like, you know, I get we get a lot of no's, you know, when you are trying to sell things, yeah. right? So I was like, no big deal. Okay. Um, but then um, I started getting these DMs and emails from people that were like, hey, are you selling your garlic achar at Trader Joe's? And I was like... Not that I know of. <laughs> right. You haven't uh, signed off on anything. There's no right. terms. Yeah. And, uh, like, they were just like, it's spelled A-A-R, because a lot of times the char is spelled A-C-H-A-R on a lot of labels, or it's called Indian pickle. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it uh, had roasted garlic in the ingredient deck, which is odd, because there is no such thing as roasted garlic achar before us, yeah. because... I grew up in Jersey, and I like roasted garlic, and I made yeah. my achar with roasted yeah. garlic. Um, and so I wasn't really going to say anything, but it became apparent that there was consumer confusion. There was too many people that were thinking that it was us that yeah. had put that product out, which actually has water. It's like a watered-down product. So, so it was. My assumption is is correct. It was not as good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so we just wanted to set the record straight and let people know that we didn't put that out. Um, and, you know, I just didn't want people to think that that was our product. <laughs> it seems really unfair. It seems like there was clear blatant copying, especially with the naming convention, which is certainly not common. And also, of course, the product, which is not common. Uh, Do lawyers get involved? Um, We decided not to go that route. um, Because first, I just wanted to concentrate on my own business. I feel like legal battles take forever and are just so stressful. And um, yeah, for me, it's like I just want to continue to create and, yeah. and you know, move Brooklyn Deli forward. Um, but my main objective was just to tell people that it wasn't it wasn't ours. You're such a class actor, classy. You're you're just that is such a difficult decision, I imagine. But I have such respect <laughs> for you doing that. Um, 
you're not shopping there anymore, I assume. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't shop there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, big boo to Trader Joe's. And obviously, I'm linking to the show notes. If you are interested in Indian pickle, you need to buy Brooklyn Deli, like straight up. Like this is is unequivocal. Um, A few more questions. I want to find out how does R&D work in your kitchen? Are you testing uh, on a quarterly basis? Are you testing every week? Like it seems like to focus on your your existing line is one thing, but then you have to look forward to other products. How does that work? Right. Um, As I said, I do eat at home a lot and um, I have a problem with developing too many products where my husband has to rein me in. Um, But so I always have something going on. There's always something in my head and there's always something I want to try and it never gets old. Yeah. So what are you thinking right now? Uh, Give us a little taste of what your, what like, you know, ideas that are popping out. Well, I definitely have ideas for more sauces. So we have the simmer sauce line. I have more of those that are on the docket and then also more condiments and, um, I can't really share of course um, a not. few other things, but there's definitely a lot of things percolating yeah. right now. <laughs> and you'll be at trade shows this summer and, and into the fall, and I'm sure releasing some products then. Right. <laughs> so let's transition and talk about your cookbook, Vibrant India, that you, you published with 10Speed with us. And I remember when it came out, it was like right when we were launching Taste uh, in the fall of, of 17. And I have to ask you, um, it's a great book. I love it. I, I looked through it last night. It, it's really a terrific book. What Thank was that you. like writing that? Well, that was actually over three years. Yeah. Um, and it was right when I launched Brooklyn Deli, which I don't recommend to anybody. <laughs> oh, a cookbook and a new yeah. company? Yeah, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> um, but it was, um, it was such a learning experience for me. And um, it was it was a way for me to get closer, actually, to my family. And um, I worked with so many of my relatives. Uh, my aunt illustrated uh, the book. Beautiful. Uh, yeah. That. And she's not even Indian. She's married to my mom's oldest brother. Oh, really? And um, she specializes in Madhya Bunny drawing. And so she, um, you know, she was like, I'd love to do the drawings for you. And I was like... Amazing. Amazing. And um, she actually was somebody that I worked with very closely on the project because she lived in India and um, she would follow around a lot of our relatives and note down recipes. A lot of my other aunts um, and my mother uh, did not really note down recipes. It was a lot by feel. So she helped me immensely um, on the book. And um, I also felt like it really freed me in in so many ways because I think that I was always chasing down this quintessential recipe and felt like I had all this pressure that I needed to get it right. And so I would ask, you know, my mom, different aunts, how do you make, for instance, saru, which is like it's sometimes called rasam, mm-hmm. um, and everybody had a different way of making it. Yeah. And at first it was driving me crazy. And then I realized I was like, there's no one way to make this dish. I can make it however I like. And that's your way. That's your way. It is. Right. And I think that that also opened me up at Brooklyn Deli, too, because I felt like I could create things from, you know, new products from my perspective and, and not really feel like I needed to be authentic according to somebody else's. It's a really liberating feeling, it must be, when you when you come to realize that there isn't a perfect way for many of these recipes. It's your way. Right, exactly. Or maybe it's a perfect way, but it's your perfect way. Exactly. Um, future book plans? So 
Well, I, I we actually put out a zine okay. at uh, Brooklyn Deli called cool. Kana Collective, um, where I could work with a lot of um, friends in the food community. And so they came up with recipes using some of our products. And I would really love to do a zine just about Achar. Yeah, I think that, that makes a lot of sense <laughs> yeah. to do something like more of an illustrated zine style about Achar. Totally. Yeah. But, you know, you've you've got quite a few things going on, so maybe that's not top priority right now. Yeah, but sometimes I do things like that when <laughs> I yeah. shouldn't be. <laughs> I love it. Are there any other cookbooks um, that you're just loving right now? Um, we're right in the spring, into summer. There's a lot of great spring books that have come out. Um, I'd say... Let's see. I I have a stack of new cookbooks yeah. actually on my desk that I have received. Um, but I have to say, like, um, if I were just honest, the ones that I cook from the most, I'd say Hetty McKinnon's books. And yeah. I'm vegetarian too, yeah. so um, Hetty McKinnon's books are definitely on uh, <laughs> heavy rotation. Yeah, Hetty's um, great. Lucas Volger's books, yep. and he just came out with a re-release of his. Uh, veggie burgers every which way, I love which that. is I one that. of my all-time favorites. Um, uh, but those are, yeah, those, those are some, and of course, like classics, like you know, a Julie Sani can't go wrong. Yeah, <laughs> and I have to mention, Vibrant India is a plant-based book, so that's something that was very clear at the time, um, and maybe or clear now that plant-based diet is is something that more people are thinking about, but back then maybe a little bit less. Right. And I think also it was a South Indian book. Right. And so I think that that type of cuisine is also something that is not as familiar because people are um, mostly familiar with the North Indian um, dishes that they find at restaurants. And I'm actually half North and half South oh, Indian. Okay. So my mom is South Indian. And, um, you know, I developed that book after teaching cooking classes for years. And my... Um, kind of angle there was that I realized that a lot of people that were coming to my classes, you know, they didn't want to buy a ton of different spices, right? So I kind of um, just whittled it down to a number of spices that you could use um, using a temp the tempering technique or thudka yeah. um, that you could apply to rice. You could apply it to a dal or salad or yogurts. And so that's kind of the building blocks of, of that book. And like I wanted my students to understand that technique and then apply it. And yeah. I guess my husband was basically my first student in a sense because he loves to cook and he learned how to cook South Indian cooking from me. And he applied that um, thudka technique um, of frying asavetida, curry leaves, Oh, I love black tempering. It's so great. And he applied it to popcorn. And he's from the Midwest. And so it's like that combo with nutritional yeast. I mean, it is amazing. And he um, and so I put that in the book too. But I wanted people to kind of understand that technique and then apply it. Yeah. Oh, that's, I mean, it's this South Indian cuisine, like Carolyn cuisine in particular. I just love it so much. So beautiful. Oh, yeah. We went to Kerala on our honeymoon. Oh. Yeah. It was amazing. Oh, so do you do you travel to India a bit yourself? We haven't gone in a bit just because I, I had um, my kids. So I have a three and a six-year-old, yeah. but I want to take them, definitely. Um, but I would be going every year before that. Yeah. And so I'm very close to the, the older generation in my family. Um, and so I, I learned so much just cooking um, in their kitchens. And uh, that's what I miss. I, I definitely want to go back. I'm sure you'll get this. <laughs> Let me ask you this uh, to close. Chithra, what is one way that you consider yourself like a tastemaker? 
I guess I would say that if I were to be a tastemaker in any realm, it would definitely be this idea of the the fusion of Indian flavors with different cultures. And I think that that is what what happened with Brooklyn Deli when I started um, just creating the brand is that I didn't get enough time to blog. And I wanted to find my way back. And so we have a blog and a recipe section um, on our website at, at Brooklyn Deli. And what it is, it is that perspective or that point of view where I'm taking um, a chars and then kind of putting them in these very unexpected ways. So you'll find like, you know, a penne vodka, but I'm oh, using my cool. roasted garlic achar in it or deviled eggs. And, you know, it has it, it also has an achar kind of like bend to it. But all of these kind of like very classic dishes, um, American dishes, but then kind of reimagined. And I feel like, I mean, that that's my passion. It's really exciting. I feel like there's maybe a book there at some point. I feel like you're just talking it through. Yeah. Could be really exciting. Now that you're talking about, we're talking about it. I'm like, maybe there is. There might be. <laughs> Shithra Agrawal, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Ada Patel, this is Taste. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Matt. Well, thanks for coming in, man. I, I, I found you at Pop-Up Grocer. You being Confusion Snacks, what you what you do, what I love. I, I, it's so impressive. That's right. I appreciate it. We connected on Instagram. I saw I yeah. saw your post. Well, you know, I I we get sent a lot of a lot of a lot of new products, and honestly, there's many great products, but we just started chatting on Instagram, and I just wanted to have you in to hear about your story a little bit. And, you know, Confusion Snacks, it says a lot. It, you could go in many directions, but tell me exactly what do you mean by Confusion Snacks? No, great great question. So um, our slogan is cultural fusion inspired by cultural confusion. So what actually inspired that is after college. So I grew up in L.A. After college, I moved to Seattle for four years. So that was my first job there. And there um, I didn't have my South Asian community, mainly which was my family or the family friends I grew up with. Um, so not having that, I started feeling this, not identity crisis, but guilt of feeling less Indian. The things I was eating, listening to, the language I spoke, festivities, it was kind of the in, of the Indian American identity, the American side was definitely getting more attention. Mm-hmm. So I started feeling a little bit guilty about that. And I started thinking about, okay, what are ways I could reconnect to my immigrant roots? And food, drinks is always a great way for us to connect to our own culture or other people's culture. And my mom and dad grew up drinking chai every morning. So I was like, all right, let me bring that to mm-hmm. Seattle with me. So I just started this daily habit of making chai. Um, and all my friends who are not um, Indian, I started sharing with them. I was making these fresh chai blends and I was sharing with my coworkers. And they would ask me questions about what's this spice? How do you brew it? And I just really enjoyed just sharing a little bit of that. Yeah. And it helped me kind of uh, connect back to my roots. So and chai, let's go to that. What exactly is the blend that you're saying? And when you say chai, you mean like the, the tea blend, the chai, the, the spices that are going into the tea? Correct. Yes. Yeah. So it's black tea, cardamom, ginger, elaichi. Yeah. So, it, it, there, I mean, there's no such thing as authentic chai, to be no. honest. There is chai tea latte at Starbucks. Mm-hmm. But there's also, if you go to every household in India, people will make it differently. So it depends on how you grew up and what your taste buds like. Yeah. So people, I mean, chai is delicious, especially when it's homemade and made by a friend. What were you seeing? What were you thinking? And and how did the spark for entrepreneurship begin? Because clearly that's what you are. 
Yeah. So um, with chai, I was just making fresh chai blend. So I made an original chai blend. And then the fusion aspect actually came up because my best friend was from France. So he was teaching me mm-hmm. everything about espresso. So we started importing espresso from France and I was making original, dirty and filthy chai blends. Mm-hmm. So like one shot and two shot yeah. of espressos. So that's where that fusion narrative started to kind of come about. That's where it originated. Um and then the entrepreneurial, actually, so Confusion Snacks is number nine. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's so cool that you admit that because a lot of folks will come in and be like, yeah, this is like my first idea. This is yeah. number nine for you. This is number let's, nine. Let's go there. I love it. Um, my first one was actually in high school. I started an apparel company called Paradox Apparel. So um, it was, I'm from LA, so streetwear was really popular at yeah. the time. Um, so I was trying to just create my own and started learning how to design. I started on PowerPoint for a long time. And then um, as I got into college, got introduced to tech. I was engineering background, so I started um, two like mobile app startups in college. You know, and everything I did, I approached it like this was going to be my business for life. Yeah. Right? So the intensity was there, and I always thought this would be the next big thing. All passion, like, lots of passion there. I love <laughs> All that. All passion, like yeah. this obsession, and um, I think going through those processes, I think. Winston Churchill has a quote, which is like, success is going from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm, <laughs> right? And that's kind of how I saw it is when I look back, I just learned so many things, whether it was soft skills or hard skills, about developing that toolkit that kind of set me up to prepare myself for Confusion Snacks, despite Confusion Snacks being my first time getting to food and beverage. So CPG, this is your first time in that space. Correct. Did any of those other eight, did they hit? Did you uh, did you exit, so to speak? Did you sell any of these companies? No. So honestly, it, they didn't go nowhere. Great. Right. But what actually ended up happening is um, just kind of through that process, just learning a lot. Right. So a lot of them was focused on tech, um, but kind of I was trying to solve a problem. I wasn't really following a passion per se. I got really excited about, oh, this would be a cool problem to solve. Is there a business case behind yeah. it? Let me run after it. Yeah. But by the time Confusion Snacks came around, I, it started with a passion that says, is there a business behind this? And I think that difference helped. No, definitely. You're you're very seasoned and you've seen the failure and that Churchill quote I've heard before. It just really <laughs> sticks with you because that yeah. is media is the same way. You know, you, you fail and fail and fail until you don't. Right. But... CPG is a brand new business for you in in many ways, it sounds like. What's that like? What's that world like compared to like tech and other other startup spaces? What I really enjoy about CPG is that if you have an idea, you can bring it to life. Yeah. You can go in your kitchen and you can start experimenting off the bat and then figure out how do I want to bring this vision I have in my head and bring it to like real life, make yeah. it tangible. Tech was a little bit complicated because like I'm not a software engineer. So if I had an idea like bringing it to life, I had to rely on someone else to do mm-hmm. it for me, right? So I did enjoy that. I had that kind of ownership of bringing it to life. But the main thing is the CPG community is super supportive. Like yeah. I just cold called a bunch of people and just reached out being like, how do you get started? Or kind of coming with intention being like, hey, I'm at this phase in this process. Like I have this so-and-so question. Can you help me with this? And I kind of related to the rock climbing or skateboarding community. They're uh-huh. all like very collaborative. And yeah. I feel like CPGs is another one of those. Yeah. I mean, I get to meet len- many in the business and and I agree. Um, very open hearted. Um, it's less cynical than you'd think. And <laughs> yeah. um, and just people who love food. And and um, we'll get to Confusion Snacks and, and to the three popcorns that you've released so far. Um, that again, I, I love them, but tell me about LA growing up. What's food like in your household? Are there restaurants you're going to, um, just what's that like? 
Yeah. So f- growing up, a lot of food was Indian. So when I was 10 months, we moved to India for four years. And my mom's whole side, which is like she's one of 11. Mm-hmm. So we used to go there every year for three months. So it kind of split a little bit between the two. So a lot of the food we had growing up was Indian, but a lot of snacking. So I know we'll talk about this, but chat. So yep. chat is basically like Indian tapas. So we would have a lot of snacks and then maybe have a meal with that. <laughs> Absolutely. Chaat is like foundational. As, as you heard earlier yeah. in this interview, in this episode, uh, we talked about chaat with Chitra. And uh, it's definitely such a foundational element to in- Indian cooking. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like in these tapas style dishes, like we have this chaat masala. So growing up, it was a lot of snacking foods. It was always, you know, when people come over, like have the chaat or whatever snacks out and then we'll eat. Um, But there was also, we also were really exposed, like Indo-Chinese is a big fusion in India, as you Mm -hmm. you probably know. So I think going to India and seeing that fusion kind of inspired us to come back home and like mess around in the kitchen. Um, Both my mom and dad were always curious in the kitchen. That's cool. I think last week we had like saffron rice with like Chinese stir fry. Oh, that's cool. So like just random things we'll just try out. And yeah. I think I always saw my mom doing that growing up. And she always part- allowed me to participate. She always invited me to the kitchen, see. And then as I got older, I was like, oh, I want to try that. That's cool. There was a real open, sometimes some households aren't that open about the kitchen. Yeah. Um, especially with gender dynamics being where they are, you know. But that's exactly. great to hear. So you grew up in the San uh, Fernando Valley in, in L.A. What are what are restaurants like out there for you uh, in your Northridge and around that area where you grew up? Yeah, I think we grew up with a lot of Thai food. We love Thai food. Also, it's a little bit similar to like Indian food, yeah. uh, flavor profile wise. But there's like Lumkanad is a Thai restaurant in the valley that we absolutely love. Um, there's Cholada, which is in Malibu. It's like this family run, like little um, shack with Thai food. Ah. Um, but uh, yeah, I think just a lot of Thai food. I'm trying to think of other things. Yeah, no, that sounds <laughs> great. I mean, Thai food in North Hollywood, Thai food out in the West Side. There's, I mean, it's a wonderful Thai community in Los Angeles. I love that. All right, so you land on popcorn. So you got these three popcorns, black truffle masala, mint chaat uh, popcorn, and chili chaat, those three flavors. How do you figure out, or when do you figure out that popcorn is how you want to deliver these flavors? Yeah, I think, so the goal from day one was to kind of share and celebrate our culture, but also to make something that could become a pantry staple. I didn't want something that was only for South Asians, but also something that was accessible to people outside our community, but it wasn't in this box of ethnic or specialty snacks. So actually, you know, it kind of lent to my own experiences. Growing up, my dad made masala popcorn Mm -hmm. all the time. Every Saturday, Bollywood movie night, masala popcorn. And as we got older, I got introduced to black truffle. I was putting black truffle in everything, things that shouldn't have black truffle, but (laughs) eventually... It made its way into my dad's recipe. And I was like, okay, this is a fusion narrative I want to tell. And kind of like 2020 hindsight is the accessibility factor is, I feel like there's two axes, right, when starting CPG. One axis is flavor profile Mm -hmm. and the other one is form factor. Mm. So I think if you, like we thought about this, like we we tested Indian form factors, right, things that are not popcorn. Mm -hmm. And then I think there was an education piece on educating on flavor profile and form factor. Mm -hmm. And that just created another barrier to entry. So popcorn as big as it is in America, just became a really accessible way to kind of share these flavors with the world, with America, like the Western world especially. Um, and kind of that was the thought process behind it and then yeah. expanding. The cool, it's cool to hear about form factors as part of your logic because it's it's such an important part. You know, you have these flavors that are so traditional to you, but you need to deliver them. And it seems popcorn is like a lower calorie. We Everyone eats it at some point in their day, you know. I feel like everyone's snacking all the time. Were there other form factors that you consider that didn't work out as well? I'm just curious about your iterations. There. Yeah. 
So we, rice puffs, so we call it mumra. So we, we tried with rice puffs, very popular also in those Indian snacks. We tried makna, lotus, pot lotus, uh, water lily seeds. Uh-huh. Uh, we tried uh, matya, which is kind of like like a like a crisp. Yeah. I, I don't know how to describe it, but we tried a bunch of different things. And then um, I think we ultimately came to this conclusion that those are cool, but I think we just need to build a little bit more brand equity with, by making it accessible yeah. and then branching out. So you've got these popcorns and you've got these, you know, you're doing them in your kitchen. So what's the next step? Because, you know, right now I know you've got distribution, you know, you can talk about it. I know that at least you have it at Erewhon. We'll talk about that. You have it at Pop-Up Grocery. You can buy it online. How do you get to that phase? Do you have to raise a lot of capital? Do you have a lot of investors? How does that work? Yeah. So I think I wanted to bootstrap. So we launched just a year ago. May 6 was like our one year mark. Wow. Congrats. <laughs> one year. Most don't get it out of that first year. So that's great. Yeah. I mean, w- one step at a time. But yeah. um, I knew I wanted to bootstrap the business. So my whole idea is let me build a solid foundation, get it to a good cash flow state, and then kind of consider outside funding. The way we started was. Um, finally getting out of my room, which was doing a soft launch with his family and friends. So we did that last February. Mm-hmm. And that was just getting feedback on the packaging, the branding, the flavor pro- profiles, et cetera. We got some good feedback from that. But the reception was strong enough. And we asked people to pay, like purchase it if you'd like to, yeah. to see, do people want to pay for this? Mm-hmm. Um, reception was good. So we did an official launch in May of last year. And we started with e-commerce, so nationwide e-commerce, and then just local farmers markets in the San Fernando Valley. Oh, cool! So your farmers markets, and then e-com. Are you like leveraging social, doing some paid social? How are you getting people to actually come to your site? Yeah, so we haven't done any paid acquisition actually. Nice, congrats! <laughs> and this is kind of kind of the bootstrapping phase. Like, there's some limitations, but it causes also like ruthless prioritization of where do you want to spend your money. So what we really focus on is building that cult of early adopters and a kind of. Um, kind of building that community and leveraging them to like inspire word of mouth mm-hmm. was the idea. So we invited people, if you liked it, kind of review and start that conversation, kind of like what we had on Instagram. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite part. Just yeah. talking to customers yeah. from that, they will refer other people. So it's been all organic. But yeah, we basically did farmer's markets. And then I was naive. I've heard about Erewhon growing up in LA. So one month into launching, I was like, let me just let me just apply online to yeah. Erewhon, uh, not knowing what was going to happen. And I was actually in New York that September, and we got an email saying they approved all three of our SKUs. Wow. So it was— ex- That's all it is. You submit the SKUs, and <laughs> they do a tasting— Essentially, we've had the we've had the woman who made the choice on our we've had her interview. We interviewed her for a Monday interview, and it seems like there's a process. Yeah, so there's like an online application, mm-hmm. and then uh, they ask you to send samples in. So they send samples in, and what's cool is Erewhon still actually tastes everything. Yeah, um, which is a really neat neat, neat part of it. Um, but it's a lot of persistence too, because they get so many applications. Yeah. You really have to be persistent and follow up with them. So we did that, and they're like, "Hey, we uh, don't we know where the samples went. Can you send other samples uh-huh. again?" So we sent another box, and quickly right after that, um, we got that approval in September. Um, what do you think the clinching flavor was? What's the I like? Think, what's the flavor? What people like the most? I think the black truffle masala. Yeah, just just knowing um, the type of products I have at Erewhon, I think that one was yeah. probably. Uh, the one that got yeah, I mean, I like the mint personally. That's my favorite. <laughs> I like mint a lot. And mint is hard to deliver in a snack form. It's cool. Yeah. I really like that. That's definitely our most surprising flavor. Yeah. I agree <laughs> fully. So, sorry, back to your story. So, Erewhon's like, let's go. And then how does it work from there? Yeah. So, they require, um, at this point, they're big enough where they require you to go through a distributor. So, they had basically an onboarding thing saying like, hey, um, here's like the slotting fee to enter uh, per SKU. And then you need to get through a distributor. And then let's get rock and rolling. We'll buy from them. So I had no idea what a distributor was, how to do pricing at wholesale. I don't know any of that. So I remember the first thing I did is I called my mom. I was like, now what? Like, what do Uh we do from here? So 
I literally just spent like the next 48, 72 hours just like studying online about Yeah, you everything. were on YouTube. Yeah, I was on YouTube. Obviously. <laughs> I mean, that's what everyone does. YouTube, podcast, like whatever I get yeah. my hands on, I was like, all right, I just need to study this space and kind of yeah. f- figure it out. So, um, and also it was manufacturing at scale. At this point, we're still in our commercial kitchen, just fulfilling, you know, things for farmers markets or online orders. Now it's like, all right, how do we actually scale this up? And like, what type of money do I need to scale this up? Um, so Erewhon, that first order was our biggest order we've had to that point. Um, cause we shipped one pallet with a product, which was like, oh my God, like that's a lot. You sent them one pallet. So yeah. you had to create one pallet. Do they pay you in advance for that? No. So depending on the distributor you go with, there's a consignment model, which yeah. is like you send them product. Once they sell it, then they'll pay you. Or there is like the typical wholesale model. So the one that they recommended, which was friendlier to smaller businesses, was a consignment model. So you ship products and based on the sell through, you get paid based on when it's sold. Okay. I've heard about this. So Erwan and they have a pretty good dashboard and you can actually follow your analytics like pretty quick, like week to week, right? Correct. Week <clears> to <throat> week. And they give you all the data, not just on your brand, but also how you rank in your category for <laughs> the other people. Oh my God. You must look at that dashboard a lot. <laughs> you, you don't want to get too wrapped up. Um, but Asha Pops, for example, is one brand that started in Erwan as well. And they've been aspiration to us of what it's, what's possible for us at Erwan mm-hmm. too. Um, but I mean, kind of the bootstrap aspect of it is they approved all three SKUs. We only launched with black truffle masala. Even till today, it's only black truffle masala. Yeah. So you you really, you just, you did that first pallet of only black truffle. You send it to your distributor. They pay you at a, they're paying you as you're selling it. So how do you get the capital to make that pallet? You just had to find that money? Yeah. So bootstrapping is just tapping yeah. into my savings right now. Yep. Yep. Right. And the thing is, like, I had to make a decision of do I two things. One is, do I have the capital to invest in all three? Because it's not just the product, the distribution, the storage. It's also the slotting fees that they have. Right. Oh, yeah. Which could be pretty big at this stage right now. So then I had to make a decision of like, OK, I think I'm going to start with the flagship skew that things to do well. And I think that was black truffle masala. And then the other aspect of it is, um, we don't want to like launch with all three and get excited and fall flat or inflated because there was like a reliability aspect, right? Reliability comes from like quality, cost, and volume. Mm-hmm. If we launched a chili chat and mint chat and the customers were excited, then we would be scrambling to figure out, okay, now how do we get this much production every month to them? Yeah. So it's kind of, you just had to make these decisions of like, and sometimes you're wrong, honestly, sometimes you're wrong, but we just had to make decision of like, what's going to be your focus right now? What do we have the capital for? And just like go all in and win at this strategy and then iterate. So Adit, what's the sell through? How are you looking at you launching Erwan and what's what happens next? Yeah. So we, <laughs> we launched with our large bags. So a little bit of shift happened in the last three months, which is we had the large family size bags. We shift to smaller bags, the one that pop up for sure. Um, the large bags, I shipped a pallet. So I was like, okay, maybe this will last them a while. I didn't know what to expect. I'm like, for, I'll get my data in the first like one to three months. Within 11 days, they already bought 55% of the pallet. Wow. So now I was like, man, we had to make another pallet. <laughs> so this is the locations in Calabasas in like in Santa Monica slash Venice? Yeah. So they actually launched you in all eight locations. Oh, eight locations. Like yeah. Eight, now right? they just opened Culver City. So yeah. now nine. But yeah. when we started, what's really nice about them is they launched you in all of their stores. Cool. That's great. Uh, yeah. That's kind of how the first month went. So we did our large bags. And then um, we were iterating at that point through how do we generate sell-through velocity and also at what price point. So the product market fit from up to then was people like our product, they like the branding, but now the price was that last piece that we had to figure out, right? And it, honestly, it's a bit challenging because 
we could really cut the price, but there's no cash flow coming in to fund the next pallet. So it's a little bit of— You need the margin to be at an exact place to get that capital to do the next pallet. I mean, it's like pallet to pallet, it sounds like. Exactly, pallet to pallet. Yeah. And you don't, like, you don't want discovery buyers, so like people that may be like, oh, that's cool, let me buy it once, but it's too expensive to buy again. So honestly, we were iterating and still are iterating through, like, what is that price point to get that first customer, but have them become a repeat and loyal yeah. customer to buy it again. So that was actually the intention behind moving to the smaller bags. It became more price accessible. We saw success with it at Pop-Up Grocery. So we're like, all right, why don't we bring that into Air One? So we actually are not doing any large bags anymore, bringing small bags. And then um, at one point with the large bags, we got to a point where we're doing, like, about 200 a week. Wow. Um, which is like a good starting point, but where we need to get is probably like 2x, 3x that. So now it's like, let's do that with these small bags. Yeah, and so they're not that small, though. That's a thing. Like when you say small <laughs> bags, I want to give the listener a um, real sense. How many ounces is that bag? So it's 2.1 ounces. Yeah. So because it's mushroom popcorn, it's close to nine cups of popcorn. Yeah, it's a lot. It feels like a, a more significant than like, a, it's not like a snack bag from like a vending machine. It's like more than that. It, it's bigger than that, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that just comes from me growing up because yeah. like, my mom was never able to buy the single pack. She's like, this kid eats way too much. <laughs> there was great. no way. So I, I, just, that. I just knew I just needed to pack something in. And also, like, our brand ethos is, like, celebrate our culture and be loud and proud, but also family and community-centric. So um, it was a bag that you could open up and we could share it together. There was wow. enough for both of us. So that was kind of the idea. I really, really—it's it's great just hearing the story and, and, like, the bootstrap nature. What are these slotting fees? What do they make you pay? So— it's about like between two point five and three thousand per skew. Yeah, so listener, let that sink in. So your brand new business, you have to pay the store to slot you in three k per skew. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's that's not insignificant. <laughs> There's a lot of products in the store. Yeah. The grocery stores are doing okay with just the slotting fees. Right. Plus, of course, they make money on the product. When they make money on the product, that's correct. So they have like a margin target that they have. Each, yep. each retailer is different. But so if we did all three SKUs, I've been close to like 10K. So that's where we're like, all right, let's dial it back. Do one, out. do three, get it on the shelf. You're at 55%. You're 11 days in. You're you're feeling good. Are you feeling good? I guess I'm going <laughs> to flip it. Are you feeling good at that point? I think Air One has been a great partner for us. Yeah. Right? Just because it's a great incubation ground. And their whole idea is first mover advantage. They want to find what could be the next big thing and bring it in-house. But... With Air One, just getting in is not enough, to be completely honest. Like, you have to be top three in your category. It's, this is my mindset. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I'd rather be number one in 10 stores than number 10 in 100 stores yeah. type of thing. Okay. So where do we So where do we go from here? What's the, what's the next uh, phase that we're in? Uh, you're in Papa Grocer, you're at Air One, you're on, you know, direct-to-consumer. Are there any other retail channels I'm not saying? Yeah, so we're in Boba Guys. We're in all 23 Boba Guys. Right. Those guys are great. Yeah. Andrew, so- shout. Yeah, yeah, great partnership. And they're yeah. also like our stories aligned too, which was really exciting. Um, and then, so our focus is people ask like, when are you going to get into Whole Foods and whatnot? So I'm intentionally actually not focused on big retailer. I think with also me being in LA, going in the store, doing yeah. demos, that helps. So we're focused on like the four big mid-market retailers. It's Air One, Mothers, Lassens, and Bristol Farms. Mm-hmm. Jimbo's is probably number five, closer south. I mean, more down south. But it's kind of using that to one, uh, get the product out there, build volume to take that next step function. But it's really about building a profitable and reliable ops engine, yeah. right? Getting out of the commercial kitchen is the next phase to answer your question and get a co-man. Yeah. And, and and do you think it'll work with the co-packers? Yeah, we're actually in conversation with one right now. So okay. hoping it works out, but that will basically one, 
help build that reliable, right? Cost, yep. quality, volume, but also give me time to kind of go into stores, do demos and focus on sell-through. Yeah, not actually making the popcorn. Yeah. At this point, you're very involved in that as well. Yeah, I, me and my mom, my poor mom, I bring her. Like, I need to retire her. <laughs> and she, are you just renting space and, and making it out of a prep kitchen? Yeah, we, yeah. a commercial kitchen commercial, in LA. They yeah. have so many of those. So um, we just make all the product out of there. But then with the co-packer, it's... So kind of back to the same thing, it's the challenge is with bootstrapping is... CPG is a capital step function, right? It's like every time you hit a threshold and more sales come in, it's not like you go in a linear path. Is you had to order like 10,000 more units yeah. and the next is like 50. So now, right now, honestly, this whole week has been like, what type of cash do I need to take this next step? And how am I going to finance that? Mm-hmm. And it's a little tougher now. I would imagine financing, um, if you're going to like uh, public banks or public money or you're doing VC, it's not as easy, right? It's not, yeah. Cost of capital is really high right now. Yeah. So, Trying to bootstrap as much as we can, so we'll see how much ramen I have to eat to do that. <laughs> I mean, I love it. Though. I mean, and and this is number nine, and I feel like uh, you feel good about where you're at right now. Yeah, I, I'm honestly really happy. Like the best part of it is like no matter how hard the day is, I'm always really happy just because yeah. seeing people's reactions are like, this is what I wanted to do. I signed up for this, so it's. it's I really love fun. it. Um, when you're popping the corn. How does that work? And I really like this is like one of the first questions that I didn't ask you from the top. Like I always wonder, like how big are these machines that are popping the corn? <laughs> so we use a pot. So it's literally like how you'd make it in your home kitchen. But big. It's a thirty-two quart pot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we could make about one pot. We'll make about ten bags at a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, and we actually iterate. So that first soft launch, we started with like butter. I know too much about popcorn. No, no, it's <laughs> you have a follow up about popcorn. Go all day about popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> so we started with butterfly popcorn, which is your movie theater popcorn. Yeah. And then the feedback we got is like, hey, the masala is actually like hitting our throat. It's not sticking on the on the actual popcorn. So we're like. Okay, let's try mushroom popcorn. Okay, that's what it's called. That was my question. It's called <laughs> yeah. mushroom. It was, I, I, it was like gumball popcorn is what I thought about, but it's mushroom <laughs> I popcorn. I like that name better, actually. It was, yeah. But I know what you're, it's, it's that premium. It's like the expensive popcorn. It is. So it pops like a ball, which is why it's called mushroom. There's no mushrooms in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Full disclosure. But um, we actually popping mushroom popcorn is a lot harder than butterfly just because it has a personality of its own. The hole is much thicker, which means the temperature and agitation has to be really on point. Otherwise, you burn it or it half pops. So, But we try to figure it out. Um, a lot of YouTube videos yeah. to figure this out. Um, and then we just started experimenting with it and the masala was sticking a lot better. Got it to customers. They were happier with the feedback. So we stuck with mushroom popcorn. Yeah, it's a great choice. I, I think of it as like the kind of premium popcorn that I'd expect. Yeah. Um, I could go all day. This is so great that you're you're here and this is such a you're just on your journey. Um, again, how do we buy your popcorn? We we know the retail channels, but you can go online and buy your popcorn too. Yes. So confusionsnacks.com. We do full DTC nationwide. Love and it. then you can find us in LA in Erewhon. Um, we'll be launching soon in Lassen's as well. And then pop-up grocery in New York. Yeah, it's so great. Now, what's the future then? I mean, you've you're thinking about popcorn now. There's gotta be more categories and thinking about the 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 accesses that the we we just discussed what are you thinking about yeah so actually we kept the name confusion snacks cultural neutral for a purpose right it's not like any south asian or indian name specifically i think there's a bunch of cool like narratives to be told i'm starting with the south asian american narrative because that's what i know but there's korean american right there's chinese american thai american african american Mm -hmm. so i think the long-term vision is to kind of bring these narratives in-house and what would be cool like my idea is me not doing it but finding people in those um populations to help me do that That really that's extremely cool i feel like (laughs) you can help incubate ideas because you have such a a grasp of what you need to do 
mm-hmm. as a founder yourself. I like that. Yeah. And I think the first will probably, outside of popcorn, we've done oven roasted peanuts in the same flavor profiles. All right. Um, the chai blends I want to bring back. We have masala soda. Um, so there's some things within just the South. There's a lot of opportunities still within our vertical. And as, as we build that engine, then it'll be easier to say like, hey, let's try Thai American or whatever it is that we're excited about um, and build that vertical. Man, I cannot wait to keep seeing your company evolve. Adi Patel, thank you for joining. Thank you so much, Matt. I appreciate it. This is Taste is hosted by Eliza Abarbanel and me, Matt Rodbar. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things that are happening.